0: Welcome to Dress to Manifest, a podcast for ambitious women who are ready to embody their best self through style and make their dreams a reality. I'm your host, Ariel Brittany, a personal stylist and confidence coach with a compassionate, intuitive, and spiritual approach to styling. I help heart centered leaders and entrepreneurs shine in an authentic, aligned style that cultivates magnetic confidence and joy. Let's dress to manifest. Hello, and welcome to Dress to Manifest. I am beyond excited to be introducing my very first guest on my podcast. She is incredible. She is my business and life coach. Going on, we actually, it's about two years now. We started working in 2020. She has helped me completely transform how I see myself and my life. So it was really important to me that she was the very first person to be on my podcast that is Mariela de la Mora and just a quick little intro and I will let her um, introduce herself in her own words but Mariela is a leadership and business coach who helps first generation women build unshakable self-trust and become in-demand profitable thought leaders she infuses reparenting and emotional intelligence coaching with business strategy she knows what it's like to be the youngest and only woman of color at the leadership table, but she sure as hell will make sure she is not the last. So that is Mariela de La Mora, And without further ado,
1: how are you? Welcome. I love that intro. I was like, yes, this is the energy. Yes, I am. Yes, I'm just so excited. I feel like, especially because it's us and like we know each other so well. And this is just such an, an, a natural extension of like, you know, not even just like our like work together, but also just like culture and identity. And that's always been like at the root of our conversations, whether it was coaching or whether it was when we worked together, it's like how our upbringing and like who we are, like shaped how we view ourselves and how we express ourselves. So yeah, I'm so excited to be your first guest. Oh my God.
0: Yes, I also like one of the things that captured my attention right away when I first found Mariella was how she serves a woman of color. Um, as um, somebody who was newer to the coaching space about two years ago, I realized that a lot of my core wounds came from you know my experiences as being a woman of color. So that was really important to me in finding that in a coach who understood that. And she is also a self-proclaimed queen of pivoting who I am somebody who is a multi passionate person who has lived many lives in my very young life. So I super resonated with her own story when I would hear her speak on other podcasts back then. Um, And I just wanted to also ask you, when did you really know you were the self proclaimed queen of pivoting? And when did you really decide like, yeah, that's,
1: that's my title, and I'm going to own it. (laughs) It's funny because like, I think I didn't see that as a positive thing um, until funny enough, like when I started working with my first um, business coach, like back in 2019, I remember the way that I told the story was I can't pick one thing. I wish if I could just do that, I would be better or I would be more, you know, credible, all of these things. And I was like, how do I market myself in all these different things that are a part of me. And so I remember kind of at that point, you know, it's like how coaches help you see yourself in like a different light. I think that helped me see as like, why, what if like you are someone who actually can help someone to rediscover who they are like right now, and that that's not a bad thing. And like, what if all of your previous experiences actually feed what you're doing now? And I feel like that's definitely been an element that I even bring into coaching because, we think about, you know, even the way that we see ourselves is like, oh, but I'm not an expert at this. I only know kind of a little bit of this and kind of a little bit of that. And you and I have had conversations about ingredients, right? Like yes, we bring different ingredients, but we don't need to be the expert in every ingredient. So I think it's like, how is like my identity and my life experiences help me be better at what I do? How does my like corporate experience help actually come in and like help me be better at what I do? Like what if everything is relevant? So I think Ooh, I, I think, love that. Yeah. But if so I think embracing that. Mm-hmm.
0: embracing that. So I noticed too with, so something that we have in common, we have an overlap where we both serve uh, primarily women of color. And it's funny because that's something that I feel I kind of stumbled into unintentionally. And that's just who I ended up, you know, my heart resonates with them. I resonate with them. And I, I feel like, this overlap into style is so fascinating to me because, in the same way that we're talking about, you know, having so many different ingredients, so many different varied lived experiences that make us who we are as women of color, I feel like that leaks into our relationship
1: yeah. to fashion and
0: style. And, you know, at the basis and foundation of that is self expression. Oh
1: and, gosh, yes.
0: like, self expression as a woman of color, I feel like is such a complicated, beautiful thing that we really have to develop as we grow older. And Mm -hmm. I was curious what your relationship to style and just self-expression in general was um, from when you were starting out, you know, in your career and also just in your own childhood and growing up and maybe the effects of, you know, your culture seeping into that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you said about self-expression being, you know, the way our relationship to self-expression is um, affected by our identity, right? Because when you think about being a person of color and um, kind of being uh, not necessarily like who things were created for, you might think about like assimilating or acclimating or how you, you know, you might stand out, but like you, that's not always a good thing. Mm, So it's uh like, I think that that's one thing that even in terms of like, self expression in general, um, that I didn't realize at the time, like when I was younger, like what that actually meant, because I had, it's like when you're experiencing something, it's normal to you. Like you don't, it's it's harder for you to observe what influences you until you're kind of, you know, older and you, you reflect a little bit. So I think like I had kind of a complicated relationship with self-expression in that it wasn't necessarily encouraged. Like, what do you think? It's, it's as like the eldest daughter of Mexican immigrants, it was very much like, you do what you're told and there's a right and a wrong and how will things look? Like those, are, those were very like predominant like themes um, growing up and that public opinion was really important and not just public opinion of family, but also in living in America because my parents were both immigrants. So it's like assimilating was important. And so I think from a young age, like it's like, I can see, you know, like when I was little, being kind of like a very different person than like you go out into the world and then you realize like oh this kind of expression is okay but this is not okay or like my expression is okay as long as my mom agrees with it or as long as it doesn't offend anybody so I think that's one thing I realized there were a lot of cultural expectations and a lot of expectations around being a woman and like what good girls and all of that and respectable girls are supposed to do so I think that Unconsciously, like it influenced how much space I took and how much attention I drew to myself or didn't draw to myself. Um, um, was that's like one big layer that had to do with like my self expression was like what was acceptable. Um, yeah,
0: totally. That is so true about the assimilating. I think it's when you are a daughter of immigrants, um, and for background, in case you're a new listener, I am also a daughter of immigrants, uh, first generation Filipina. So my parents are both from the Philippines. It's really interesting because it's like, I mean, I was born here, but you're perceived differently. You're still perceived differently, especially if you grew up um, with not a lot of diversity like I did. Um, Mm -hmm. And you often feel like you have one foot in one culture and then the other foot in other. And it's like this pressure of straddling where it's like, how much is too much assimilating? How much Mm -hmm. is honoring my culture, but then like, Ooh, you're being a little, being a little yeah. too different. But not, and, like but not like that. Not <laughs> yeah, like that. It's like
1: express yourself, but not like that. And express too much. yourself. Not
0: like that. Yeah. Not too yeah. much. And feeling like there's this constant, almost hyper self-awareness as a woman of color, just about yeah. the way we are constantly presenting ourselves. And it's like, we're seeing
1: ourselves from almost like a third party. Yeah, so true.
0: At all, yeah. It's like you
1: adopt a lens early on of how will this look, but then you're like, how will this look to the family? How will this look to society? How will this look at school with Mm -hmm. your teachers? Like, there's a lot of that for sure.
0: Yes. Yeah. So it's it's this whole really like balancing act that I think we just we can't really win at, and I think it's like once we get older and we realize we can't. Dimmer light for others or the expectations of for the expectations of others that's when we yeah. really do feel liberated um but it's yeah. so complicated because we have this love for our culture um mm-hmm. but then there's expectations on both sides of how to express that so yeah it is it could be tricky
1: yeah and I even think about things like um like growing up my um like I grew up only speaking Spanish because my parents weren't as fluent in English. My grandparents helped to take care of me. Um, and they didn't speak English at all. So I think I grew up very much like Mexican. Um, however, um, it was like when I went to public school that I think it, uh, that, that changed, but I think I remember like wearing little like dresses from mexico and it was like this is just like how little girls dress like little girls have their hair long we split our hair down the middle and we have two braids so like the two french braids on the side like that's how my mom would like dress me and then we'd have these little dresses from mexico that have like almost this like stitching like this cross stitching in the front with this elastic thing and then it's the little puff sleeves and then you wear like stockings and you wear these little braids so it's like there's such a that that's like how my mom would like dress me with ribbons in my hair, everything. And then I remember almost going through like a rebellion at a certain point where I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't want anything girly. I don't want any of those things because (laughs) growing up, there was like these, I grew up feel, I feel like I grew up so Mexican that like, I was literally wearing clothes from Mexico, even though I like grew up in the States and so hyper feminine, but like an innocent, soft, like Mm, femininity mm -hmm. that they're it's like in a way the extreme of like one side wound up me being like I don't want anything to do with that like later on
0: oh my gosh yeah it makes sense that you would want to completely swing the other way with your self-expression because I think that it's funny because it seems it seems like that's just the definition of femininity that was put on you
1: yes yes so
0: what is it like looking back now with your definite your new reclaimed definition, I guess, of your femininity?
1: Yeah, I think that I wound up finding my own way of like what was in the middle of that. Um, so it's funny because and we'll we'll talk about this because um in the photo shoot, uh, my last photo shoot where you styled me, I think this is why I, said that a blend of masculine femi- feminine was important to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because I was conditioned in such hyper femininity, not just in the way that I dressed, but in the way that I carried myself and softness and dresses and bows and things like that. Um, and then I went to the complete opposite side, which is like, once I had a little more autonomy over how I dressed, despite like my mom hating it. I grew up in the nineties, like meaning I was in middle school and high school in the nineties. And so growing up on the West coast, listening to West coast, hip hop, um, and West coast, like specifically West coast, hip hop, and going to school with 99% black and Brown kids, like that's in public schools that were not probably the greatest public schools. So like, that was what raised me. Like when I learned to speak English, I learned it in public school and I learned it around black and brown kids so that's like why you can tell in like my intonation and the way that I talk like I grew up with diversity but just like no white people basically Mm -hmm. and I grew up with like literally I was the I was in middle school wearing oversized white t-shirts dickies pumas and no makeup and like my hair and like I'd wear, sometimes like the, I wouldn't really wear a lot of makeup thankfully, but that was like chola. Like I was literally like my friends and I would take these pictures of like no smiles. Like nobody smiled in the picture. My friends would have the dark lip liner around their lips And the eyeliner, the winged eyeliner, like I grew up like that. Oh my gosh. Yes. Iconic. The winged
0: eyeliner. (laughs) Yes. Honestly, like my shaky hands could never. So whenever I see that eyeliner, I'm like, yes. It's a
1: gift, right? And so it it was like, but then we were also Latina. So it was like, we still, the, the Dickies and the Pumas and like the, was also like very Chicana like culture and like girls would wear Um, I said this recently about like um, the artist, like Selena, like, and she, I was like, when she was alive, I was like her fan and, you know, and girls would wear these airbrushed hoodies with Selena's face on them with their like lip liners and giant hoop earrings. Like I wasn't like allowed to wear like lipstick and hoop earrings, but I rebelled in my own way by being like, I'm totally like Chicana culture. And so I feel like I, my mom hated it. And we would, we would go to family <laughs> parties. She would be like, are you really going to go dress like that? You look like homeless. Like she would literally just be like, you look, if people are going to think that I just don't even, you know, you don't even comb your hair. What are people going to think? And then I was like, in a way I kind of reached something like, Ooh, she can't actually control me. And I like this. This is one thing I'm going to like, I'm not going to let her have this. And I hated anything pink. I only wore like black and white and Navy. And it's just like clothing. Then became like I kind of hypercorrected into masculine yeah. in a way, and then embracing my culture. But my culture was very like California Mexican Chicana culture, and I feel like I swung to the opposite way. And then I feel like I kind of hung out on that end. Like I kind of always despised like hyper feminine, pink. I hate. I told myself like I hated pink and I hated any of those things. And I feel like I've now come to realizing I do love the femininity, but I've defined what that looks like now so yes the masculine feminine and actually finding my own style which I feel like I didn't fully fully I didn't actually really fully embody until we worked together
0: that is so interesting how like (laughs) that it's what I really love is that there's a community building and that's the Mm -hmm. thing about style that I feel is often overlooked Because I mean, the beautiful thing I love about styles, of course, it's an individual expression of who you are and that's how it should be. But it's also a signal like Mm -hmm. you're my you're somebody who vibes with me. You're somebody who has the same values as me. And I feel like it was like this banding together of (laughs) fellow Latinas of the same age that was like, wait, your mom's making you do that. My mom's making me do that. Um, wanna just like go the opposite way together and we just, were like...
1: all pissing our moms off collectively, <laughs> they were all doing the sign of the cross on their forehead when they saw us walk out the door, like oh my gosh, that... the sign of the
0: cross. Yes, Catholicism's <laughs> totally like the main religion in uh oh, yeah. culture too. So totally know that the sign of the cross,
1: <laughs> and then even redefining religious things like the cross, so it's like girls would wear like a cross keychain or crosses on their like earrings and things like that so it's like we would just take things redefine it to like our mothers you know like you know like freaking them out but that's what it is it was like clothing and I think there's always an element of like rebellion in every generation but I think Mm -hmm. in my generation I kind of grew up with the, the like masculinity because it was like it was the era of like TLC and the most was like the big oversized baggy pants and then like showing the midriff. So when I started going with like showing the midriff and like I was obsessed with Alia, like I wanted to be her, I would go to school, like just like with the thing. My mom hated that. She's like, don't you ever, you never, you can never show your stomach. Like you can never show these certain parts. And so it's almost like I experimented with like how I wanted to show parts of my body and and you know, things like that. But it was so um. To me, it was like clothing became like a rebellion and like a reclamation of what femininity could look like because I aired more in like the oversized clothing, you know, all of that. And um, yeah, I went through lots of phases, but I feel like that was more formative because it was when I became old enough to have some like decision-making power over like how I dressed.
0: Yes, and it's like establishing this autonomy from your parents, yes. but what I really love too about that experience that you shared is that it shows that even in your breaking away from your cultural norms, you established a new culture in a in yeah, a way with for sure. your fellow Latinas, which I think
1: mm-hmm. is beautiful
0: because it shows hey we don't necessarily to be need to be doing things the same way all the time or sticking to a very specific tradition in order Mm -hmm. to band together and still represent and still support and uplift each other, you know, it could look different. We could redefine this. It's
1: like a multi, I don't know what to call it, but I kind of feel like um, we're, I've heard the term like multicultural kids, like we're the multicultural kids in the sense that like, even if both of your parents came from the same country, Mm -hmm. you're part of another culture. And I think for me growing up, in the 90s in the West Coast around black and brown kids, I felt like the culture that was mine was the melting pot. It was Cali, hip hop, being Mexican, and then a little bit of like growing up in America, because that all of it was, was influenced in the way that I dress. So even to the extent of like, you know, we see the oversized tees and the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the Dickies were Latino culture, but then there was music culture with like the Selena oversized hoodies. And then I would take influence from like famous, like R&B, you know, singers and all of that. And so I think it really, it was, clothing can really be such a reflection of, like, the different parts of our identity, like, overlapping.
0: Yes, and the way that we craft them and show that we're just so multi-layered and multicultural, (laughs) it's just this really cool physical representation of our essence on the inside, but Mm -hmm. also our lived experiences, which I think is just, I think it's so cool that, like, all of that had this strong profound impact on you and just like how you show showed up in the world but Mm -hmm. I know that um a lot of that rebellion also it could stem from those beliefs that I think are put on us as women of color and interestingly um a lot of those expectations like yeah they're from the world but also from within our own culture um Mm -hmm. because you know we know style is a self a self-expression. We know that now, but I think when we're younger, um, I mean, I was lucky I had a, or I have a mom who's super into fashion and style,
1: Mm -hmm. but
0: I know that with my women of color clients, you know, they felt like, okay, I was told style was frivolous or like Mm. a waste of money and different beliefs around, is it shallow? Like, should we be focused on other things like being more I don't know, godly or good with money, or there's just so many other things you could be doing. I feel like there's a lot of stories there um, that kind of spark the rebellion (laughs) that you were talking Mm -hmm. about. So I'm just curious if you have any um, beliefs that were passed on you that kind of spark that rebellion into, um, you know, that movement that you were a part of with your fellow Latinas.
1: Yeah, I think that um, one of the, like, when I think about, like, what was modeled to me um, was, like, modesty, Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that was part of it is, like, you know, don't draw attention to yourself, like, don't draw too much attention to yourself, so I think that that was something that I internalized was, like, it's my responsibility to not draw attention to myself, Um, and I think that this could be said of all, like, of anyone socialized as a woman, but I'd say, especially probably in Latino culture. And it maybe like, not even just Latino culture of you cannot dress in a way that attracts a man's attention and that that's your responsibility to not dress like you want attention. And I think that's one yes. thing for sure that I think in a way it was like, I don't know. I think I like, I definitely internalized that to, to the extent that like, even when I dressed much more masculine, it was just kind of like, like I, I don't know. Um, so I think that there was, there was definitely that of like, don't, be, and then, and this actually made me think of another thing of something I internalized. So me and my mom have like the very similar body type, like we're pear-shaped and we have like a big butt, like small waist, big butt, big hips. And it's like bombshell shape though. Yeah. Like, hello, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> but it's like, I, I saw it as a burden yes. growing up. And I think when I wore the baggy pants and the oversized tees, in a way it was, I was protecting myself from having eyes on me. And I think that, um, when I got older and was like, I don't want to wear the oversized stuff. And then the oversized kind of went away. And then it was like the early two thousands. And I started wearing more fitted things. And then guys would like holler at me or whatever you know what I mean it was also like where I grew up because guys would holler out of the bus like they you know what I mean I was literally like I grew up with that like hey 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 girl hey like you know like and then I was like oh it's because they like I'm showing my butt too much and like I'm wearing these like so this is what I get and so I I think Mm. for the longest time I had like a love-hate relationship with my body um And I've heard this from women who have like larger size breasts and all this, that it's like, you're not trying, you just want to be able to dress the way that you want. But we have such internalized ideas about attention from men is bad. And it's your responsibility to like hide that Um, to the extent that my mom, it's funny, it makes me think my mom once shared a story where she had to fight a girl at school. The one fight that she ever got (laughs) in, the one fist fight she ever got into in middle school. Oh, wow. She said, this girl said, you walk like a duck and you're you're sticking your butt out because you want boys to have attention. And she would just bully her. And eventually my mom was like, do you want to fight me? And like, I just remember caring, but it's so funny because it was still passed on to me being like, you're always going to look more sexual in clothes because of the Mm -hmm. way that your body looks. So it's your responsibility to like, and no one's saying it in those words, but you learn right away, like your sexuality and your body are actually like, a burden you need to like manage oh my goodness but I think that was yes. definitely something that was passed on to me and in and, and, like just in my relationship with my with my body and actually um seeing it as something that I can celebrate and not like my responsibility to like keep eyes off of my butt or whatever you know what I'm saying because no, it just is what it is but I think culturally that was one thing that like for sure um has always been in the background. Um, and I think I'm sure a lot of women can relate around like what is modesty and you know, what is a good girl dress like, you know? Oh
0: my gosh. I keep like shaking my head for I because we're <laughs> we're recording this over Zoom. So <laughs> I know that the listeners can't actually see, but I'm just like nodding my head so much like I'm <laughs> at like, you know, gospel, like hearing gospel at a church, like agreeing yeah. because that super resonates with me too. And I find it so like hopeful that as women of color, like these these things can transcend into different cultures, so we can support each other through the shared experience of that. Because modesty, yes, um, in Asian women as well, especially like in Filipino um, culture, because you know Catholicism is the mm-hmm. main religion there too. That yes, we have this complicated yeah. relationship around that too, where it's like how much does a good girl Show like how much skin, and even though, um, you know, my parents never talked about it, it's just like this kind of implied thing, I think, within just the larger context of a family. Like, you have a lot of family members, you know, there's you want to represent your family well. Like, I'm doing this in air quotes represent your family well, so you're just like hyper self conscious, and it's frustrating because, um, it, I mean. The, the male gaze is something that as women, it just, yes, it does feel like a burden to have to, and yeah. it's it's sad to see our bodies as a burden to manage um, because yeah. of the way people see us. That's a shared thing, um, I think, just among women um, with, you know, the patriarchy and everything. But I feel yeah. like for women of color specifically, um, a lot of us have body types that are curvier naturally. And yeah. I know that when I hit puberty, I was like, so stressed out <laughs> like when mm-hmm. I got the boobs um you know because I'm so short that I was always yes. very used to being perceived as cute like cute 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 uh-huh. and then I got my curves out of nowhere when I think I was I don't yep. know, 15 16 and mm-hmm. all of a sudden I just didn't know how to dress myself anymore and yep. I had to kind of have a recalibration of how I styled myself even as a teenager um, I definitely it's funny that you went swinging towards the um, the baggier stuff, the um, no makeup, the like big hoops and everything. I feel like for me, um, I was so detached from my culture because I grew up in a primarily white suburbia mm-hmm. um, that I I really didn't have any like, I guess, connecting thing to it until I I didn't feel like I had that community as much until I went to college and I joined like Mm -hmm. the Filipino club I was able to kind of see what that culture was like but the Filipino American culture specifically so I really just kind of went the other way instead and I Mm -hmm. was like I'm gonna be super girly and I became hyper girly where I were I really went into the frills the super pink super um purple. I mean, I love lavender. Like I'm literally wearing lavender. <laughs> Everybody knows I'm obsessed with lavender. It's a huge part of my branding. Yep. Um, but I think for a really long time, I was uncomfortable with sharing the edgier side, the more assertive side of me, the yeah. side of me that actually really enjoyed being sexy and wearing black and leather and looking like a boss. And mm-hmm. I was, I was really sinking into that aesthetic of girlhood as like almost a protective Um, boundary so that um, I could continue on feeling protected, almost like
1: in this blanket
0: of innocence.
1: Mm -hmm. A blanket of innocence. I like how you kind of like describe that and then deciding, like redefining, like what it means to you.
0: Yes. And redefining that and being a, you know, a grown woman now (laughs) and feeling like, okay, I actually can redefine this. I can still love girly. So Um, I find it funny because so many of my clients have that same thing where they, you know, shunned away all of the girly and then started to um, embrace that more, embrace the, the, like the things that are so like, like, it just feels so like divine being a woman. Those, those things like the silk and the lace and Mm -hmm. all those things that I know I personally love. And I think that it's cool to see how we kind of are other halves of each other's journeys, where I actually went <laughs> and had to learn how to embrace the, the like the kind of more edgier parts of me, the parts of me that I think were I, were like a lot more. Um, I just felt too assertive for the comfort mm. of other people, mm. um, and reclaiming mm. that and being like, no, I actually want to break away from that typecasting because when I started dressing a little differently, you know, people will be like, wow, Ariel didn't Mm -hmm. expect you to be wearing like combat boots or be wearing this. And it's, it's cool to see that you can use style as a way to just get in touch with those parts of yourselves that I feel like sometimes we put it in a box in the corner of our mind, uh, just to make other people comfortable, because we don't want to make them uncomfortable with how we've changed and conflict with their perception of us in their mind.
1: Yeah. It makes me think of um, how like an element of like perception and all of that was like a big part of how I dressed myself. Um, And maybe like what even kind of got in the way of me figuring out like, how do I actually like to dress was the fact that like, I was in corporate from when I was like 17 and um, there was, and the types of corporate jobs that I had were very like formal, you know, like everybody would just dress, dress like the men would dress with like button up shirts yes. and slacks. And you actually had to wear, there wasn't like business casual. It was like, you had to dress up for work. So it's like, I literally had an entire wardrobe um, for work that I would never wear. I didn't even like, and I would never wear it outside of that. And for the longest time I had work clothes and then real life clothes and they were wildly different and now that I think about it um a lot of the work clothes were things that I doled down like things that I naturally liked which is like bright colors accessories animal print like still to this day like you cannot keep me away like if I see something leopard I'm like how can I make leopard look classy oh my gosh yes (laughs) so it's like but but at work yeah I felt like I couldn't do that and so it's like I would have these button-up shirts and I remember thinking like And these slacks, and I was like, I freaking hate these slacks because they're not made for somebody with like a butt, and so I I would always have to like wear like a belt. And I also felt like at work it was my responsibility to like not like show my body at all because I didn't want to like have anybody like look at me and then not take me seriously. Yeah. So it's like that was another like element of like you know over time being able to join the way that I dress and not have it actually vary so much depending on um like what circumstance i'm in and obviously we dress for it but it all feels like me and i think that that's something that not everybody has gotten to where it's like you know what your style is but it doesn't drastically you don't change it for like someone else's like gaze essentially um as much and i definitely did for a long time where it was almost like a split identity and a lot of that had to do with modesty and like don't attract attention and like you know also things when you think about culturally it's like um Uh, women of color are often like I don't know if this is a word but like exoticized where Mm -hmm. it's like I assume that they're like already like looking at me a certain way and it's like oh no I'm like Latinas are are hyper sexualized so I think that's another thing it's like I don't want to be like the sexualized Latina so there's just so much of that of like rediscovering and like reclaiming that for like myself that took me honestly (laughs) like a really long time
0: yes (laughs) I mean it's it's a lot it's a lot to process it's a lot Mm -hmm. to unpack and to even start untangling because I think that a lot of it is so deep rooted and yeah it's kind of it's kind of like I didn't even know I was consciously doing or thinking a lot of the things that Mm -hmm. I did around my style around covering up or around um having that what you said was so was so good it was the having almost like a split identity um in self-expression through the style, because
1: mm-hmm. I
0: also would do that where I would be dressed completely differently for a family event versus with my friends Ooh, versus yeah. at church versus, um, with, yeah. with just for how I myself wanted to show up. It, it was, it's like, like this, who's
1: judging you?
0: Who is like judging that's what you? I think, is it yes. your family
1: and your, the- and your aunties that are judging you possibly or is it your boss and your coworkers who are judging you or is it just your friends? And then you can like be yourself, you know? So it's like this split.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. At work too. I remember um, when I was in corporate, I had like a very casual dress code. Um, You know, they, they told me, yeah, we could just show up in jeans. Like people mostly showed up in jeans and like maybe a button up or something. And Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of just laid back. And I still and my reputation for um there was definitely the the person who dressed up because I
1: was like dressed sure, up so much too much or something. Yeah,
0: like I overcompensated yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, where I felt and I mean it was so valid that I had this feeling that I had to prove myself to be capable and professional because um I literally like what you said in your introduction was the youngest and only woman of color um, at that branch. And Mm -hmm. it was like, I felt this need to be taken seriously. So I would dress up to compensate for it. Um, And it wasn't necessarily, I mean, it did help me show up for my day more confident, but there were times where I wished that I could just kind of relax and be more myself.
1: Yeah. When you said, um, dressing this way to be taken seriously, I think that phrase is such a, um, that's a phrase that marginalized people, especially, um, have as like a lens. I think women will, because you're like, I want to be taken seriously as a woman, especially if you're the youngest. But I think, especially like as a, as a woman of color, like you want to be taken seriously, which comes Mm -hmm. from like the mindset of, people naturally take me less seriously. Therefore, I actually need to meet a higher bar of perfection and be polished and anticipating everybody's expectations and like meeting them and all of that. So it really is that. And, And even the sense of like, if you dressed up every day for work, because you wanted to, but the fact of like, if someday you didn't want to dress like that because it was mm-hmm. cold, and you know, if you were on your period and you just literally wanted to wear some like really cute elastic band pants that kind of lightweight look like sweats, you'd be like, Oh, but if I do that, are people going to take me less seriously? That's the difference. That's is the difference when, mm-hmm. when you're marginalized, you think like one slip ups or what could be perceived as a slip up might make you look like, like lose your credibility. And those are the things that I thought about all the time. Like every day, I need to show that I belong here every day. I need to prove that how, uh, how good I am as everybody else, because I literally was like told like, no, you cannot, um, we won't promote you because of like the way that you talk, like not in those exact words, but like I was told those things. So I was like, no, I'm held to a higher standard and I have a smaller margin for error yeah
0: else. exactly where it feels everything feels very high stakes
1: yeah it's like a microscope or something like someone's waiting for you to slip up and I don't ever want to be the example of the negative stereotype even though in reality it's not negative you know what I'm yeah saying? it's not um, of, of just being like that you know it actually makes me think of <laughs> when I think about like not being the stereotype um I remember being able to experience like my own stereotypes of myself when I um, lived in London with my ex husband and I went to work in an office there where um, the standards were even more old-fashioned and patriarchal and very white centered to where I remember coming to work with a on my very first day wearing a um, red it was almost like a reddish orange but mostly red blouse and I had like, I don't know, like long earrings and like multiple people were like, wow, that's very bright. And it's like, this is also English culture. And I was like, oh, I'm it, it had been a while since I'd been in an office and I was like, oh, I forgot. Like they're not, that's not okay. But I naturally love bright colors. Like I come from, yeah. I think people from warm tropical climates, like we just like these bright colors. Like I grew up seeing mm-hmm. my mom wear she would dress like such a boss like my mom oh. even though she didn't invest yeah. in her style she didn't spend money on herself but she would have things given to her by my aunt who's older than my mom mm-hmm. and she would always dress like such a boss like she would have these like red blazers with like a little pin in like her hair and she'd wear these like I forget what it's called you know what it's called like a hat and it has the little like, oh veil. like a
0: fascinator
1: yes oh my gosh so fabulous my mom was stunning but she would pull together these looks that like were gifted to her and I know she didn't spend money because her our whole life even now she'll return things she's the queen of buying things for herself and returning them she's better now at keeping the clothes but I remember like color and print was so intrinsic with like the way that we dress that I remember like color and print in the workforce being like oh that's that's a little much, you know what I mean? So even my relationship with color and print is something that has come like full circle, you know, with me now being like, what if I like that? And, you (laughs) know, and I still, and I don't wear like super bright colors now, but I think that the colors that now I naturally like are actually colors for my like culture. And I think it's like terracotta and like gold and like those richness, you know, whereas like I wore pretty much nothing but neutral colors and black and white and navy, you know, in the workforce. Gosh, it's like,
0: it's like the expectations literally stripping you of like your technicolor magic.
1: Yeah. And that's what I love. And that's what like right now people can't see, but I have like hot, my rebellion is I have hot pink nails. 2 weeks ago before I got my nails done they were like neon red almost so I still find ways and I'll get comments on them too yes out here but I'm like I live in the Pacific Northwest everybody wears like hiking gear as like as as an outfit so like my my like expression is okay maybe I don't want to wear the super bright colors but like I still like them and they just show up in different ways so <laughs> it's such a journey like I don't know that I actually thought about all of these things until this conversation of like how many outside expectations and perceptions have gotten in the way um, or have shaped like how I used to dress versus like how I'm allowing myself to now.
0: It really is about, yeah, allowing and also just like this remembering of, mm-hmm. I think, at the core of it really our worthiness. Because what really struck me yeah. was, um, you just said that your mom she will buy things and then return them. It's funny because my mom mm-hmm. is also the queen of returning, even though she loves fashion and style. Um, yeah. I think my, my family, they do this thing where um, it's. I think this is also kind of like a inherited generational immigrant mindset of buying mm-hmm. something extra or buying something just in case. And then you could always like return it. Um, yep. So my mom is the queen of returning in a different way. But I think yep. that the buying something for yourself and then returning it because you don't feel worthy of it Mm -hmm. is really telling like, um, could you tell me more about like what you think your relationship around style and worthiness is like, and then around maybe how that was an inherited kind of set of beliefs.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I, when I think of like what was modeled to me, like growing up that kind of influenced my style um, or the way that I presented myself was like, number one, um, in general, I grew up with, we can't afford it. We don't have money. Like just as general things that I heard a lot of like, just being very like price conscious. The reality was we always were fine. but the threshold my parents had was like probably pretty high and we just wouldn't spend on a lot of things. So I think in general, that was one thing, but also my mom, like, it's like, when I think of what she modeled to me, she modeled, like she always looked good. My mom always looked good. She smelled good. She always put makeup on um, her hair, like all of this. So it's like, I think she would, she always, and still does, she looks like she goes to work and I'm like, mom, you are, she's looking good. And she's, she doesn't care. She does it for her, right? So I think Man, in a way, yes. the fact that, that she didn't spend a lot of money on clothes she made up for in how she took care of herself how she groomed herself the you know um she'd have her nails painted she always had makeup on her hair was always like you know cut and dyed and whatever it wasn't always dyed but she looked good and i think that I adopted that in the sense, like, it doesn't take a lot of money to look good. It just looks like you took care. And she would tell us that whenever we would leave the house where she's like, you know, I would want my hair down. And she's like, you need, we need to comb your hair and let you look like polished. Your hair's all over the place. Let me untangle it. Like you needed to look put together. So I think I was modeled. It's important to look put together. It's important to look like you put effort into leaving the house today, um always so it was never like leaving the house looking sloppy like it's always like put together but not necessarily buying yourself things and um and that it's not worth it and like being very price conscious so like my mom got a lot of stuff given to her by my aunt my godmother who did not care was the most when it came to like she would she deserved everything she was like I she will treat herself to all the things so I think my mom kind of was like lived in her shadow a little bit of like, well, my sister's going to give me the things she doesn't wear anymore. And that was always her life. So she looked good and she, the pieces that she had were usually given to her. So I felt like, because I was the oldest, like I didn't have anybody to give me things. And so we would shop at like Mervins, which I don't even think exists anymore. And it would, and like pay less. And I don't know, I just felt like I grew up just feeling like I need to do my hair and like look good, but not like spend money, just don't spend money. That was kind of the way that I was brought up.
0: Yeah, and I I do actually really love that your mom modeled that mindset of, you know, we can look polished and not have to drop a lot of money. I actually wholeheartedly
1: mm.
0: like love that um, because I think that a lot of what blocks people from even starting to dive into style and Mm self-expression is like that misconception that you have to be buying the most expensive things, most expensive clothes, where really it could just be in really small, beautiful, personal, intimate ways of just, you know, taking the time to brush your hair, taking the time Mm -hmm. to get your nails done. And it's okay if you inherited something from someone else. I I think the one thing is more the, um, the investing I think uh, there's like this Mm -hmm. this shared discomfort for across cultures for women of color where it comes to investing in yourself and I think that's Mm -hmm. where we start to feel almost like a constricting feeling in our chest feeling like oh Mm -hmm. my gosh like this is a lot of money should I really be doing this and that's not even limited to style it could be with our education with our even you know hiring a coach to help you get to where you want to be like You know, Mm -hmm. how I invested in you and how you invested in me with my personal um, styling Mm -hmm. for your photo shoot. Um, It's like there's this first obstacle in our head that's like, okay, wait, okay, like, take a deep breath. We're going to do this. Um, Mm -hmm. I I know I'm worth it. Um, But it's that initial discomfort that I find is such a almost, you know, at least in the um, conversations I've had, quite universal. especially
1: if it only benefits you in your mind when you think like Mm -hmm. if it only benefits me I can do without it and I think that's a an immigrant like mindset but it's also a mother like I actually understand that so much of how she um what she modeled was also the self-sacrifice of being a mother and being like oh no but like my kids need things yeah and I didn't feel it as much but like she would buy us the things we needed and obviously when you have three kids like she did we always needed functional dress which is like we're outgrowing clothes and we need new clothes for like the school season and that is like a necessity so that's something that she would see as a necessity because we literally need new clothes because we're growing we're growing out of them whereas things for her I know she never said this out loud but I can see her mom brain and her immigrant mom brain being like I don't need these new clothes. I have clothes. And my dad did the same thing. Like my dad would never throw things away until they had holes in them. Like he would keep everything and then he never gained any weight, which is also like, okay, dad. He's so skinny. Like he never gained weight. And so he could wear these old things. So it's like, yeah, how could she think she could invest in herself when my dad also didn't spend any money and they had children to literally put like clothes on? So I can appreciate that now and the fact that to an extent there was a necessity and honestly the fact that I now see how my mom always put herself together my grandmother would also do the same thing that it's like there's so much pride beneath that like how do we retain our pride in the world when we don't have a lot of money to invest in ourselves but how does our family as a collective I know there's so much emphasis how does my family look very well put together and presentable, you know? So yeah, there's definitely like that for sure.
0: Yes. I, I really, I love that. And it's like, really, when you look back, it, it's really only looking back, you can connect the dots and see, um, yeah, just the sacrifices that our parents made in order to open doors that were just previously just completely out out of our vision, right, out of our line of um, opportunity um, because they, they I mean, it's so much risk that was involved in moving here, oh, and starting yeah, a new life sure. here, that it's just really the Maslow's hierarchy of needs comes to mind.
1: Oh, w- for sure. Where,
0: you know, they're focused on the survival aspect, and then because they gave us so many blessings, and opportunities were able to feel safe enough to yeah. even start venturing out into okay, how do I belong here? Mm-hmm. What does Absolutely. that look like? What is my self actualization? look like what does my self-expression
1: look like that's true because self-expression not just like a function like it's not just a necessity to like have clothes it's almost like that's an evolution as well of like needing work clothes needing whatever now it's like oh how do I want to express myself through clothes wasn't something that I think like our mothers well I know at least for us like they weren't actively thinking that um that they had a right to self-express that it was like, you can choose something you like, but ultimately you buy clothes because you need clothes. Cause
0: it's a necessity. And it's yeah. interesting to see, um, how with the, like going up in that Maslow's hierarchy of needs that you could see that really portrayed just with the, like, even looking at a house, like my house, like my apartment right now, it's like yeah. it moving in here. If I were just focused on my basic survival, I wouldn't be focused on what color the paint is, what the home decor is. But so much of that does make you feel psychologically better. It uplifts your Mm -hmm. mood, but you would be focused more on the survival aspect. And I think about like my dad and his siblings having grown up in the Philippines for until they were about like preteens, teenagers, Mm -hmm. literally like in a hut with like mud floors. Like it's it's like blows my mind that it's like, wow, he could, my dad, and my mom, they literally have this house that they could mm. just express themselves through, like turn into yeah. a home. And I feel like style in the same way is oh like gosh. the same thing, where it's like the clothes are necessities. It's really just to cover our backs, keep us warm, help us, you know, go about the world. But I think that as we go through that feeling of, okay, this is a necessity, to, okay, am I stable enough? how can I now access this at a higher level mm-hmm. um, in a way that improves how I see myself, how I feel yeah. I'm represented in the world. Um, yes. So it's really interesting to see it portrayed through like that the hierarchy of needs literally portrayed through tangible things and how we use them, including clothes.
1: Yeah, when you said, um, you know, moving towards like style is like, how you see yourself. It made me think like how much of a lot of our upbringing is dressing, thinking of how we're being perceived not how we see ourselves. Which is part of the survival,
0: right? It's part of the survival of of like that foundational, like, because part of the survival is like adapting and
1: assimilating. It is. And also too, I think for, with you know, part of like the immigrant lens, when I say person of color lens in particular is like, looking like you have more materially than you maybe do Mm -hmm. so it's like how do you look like a million bucks if you don't have a lot of money you know what I mean and there's such an element of pride there of like you never want to like look poor even if at home you have to like you know not turn the heater on like that was my reality is like we wouldn't turn the heater on my mom would like hang up the clothes to dry like just to be sure but when we went out the way that we looked and presented ourselves was really important and so yeah there is so much of that. And um, so it's like allowing, even allowing myself to invest in clothes is something only recent because honestly, before I worked with you, I really only bought stuff from like Target, Amazon, Zara, H&M. And eventually I was like, I don't really know what to do with this, but I realized like I was getting rid of a lot of things a lot sooner because like they didn't last very long yeah and so I think even wrapping my head around like I deserve to invest in my style because it makes me feel good and not everything needs to be like cheap um I can invest more in certain pieces and so I think part of the permission I gave myself and part of what I even like learned with you was like um it's it was like the deservingness but also like the Um, how do I do this in a way where like not everything is expensive or like expensive is a label right but it's like how to selectively pick pieces but a big part of that was the mind is like the mind hurdle I had to get over over like deserving to spend like $150 on Aritzia like faux leather pants which I bought for like and I remember how much it was because I was like I'm spending $150 on these pants or like my reformation dress that I wore this this gold dress that is a buster dress that is stunning and it's the most simple dress I opened it and I was like this dress was $150 but then I put it on and I was like oh that's why it's $150 (laughs) yes and it's like it just changed it blew my mind because I thought like how often have I bought, let's say cheaper dresses and then threw them out because they didn't fit well, or because I didn't really actually like them after all. I didn't really like them even when I bought them. And now I'm spending $150 on a dress. I, I will, I love how I look when I wear these things. And I, it made me think like, I I've been doing this my whole life, like buying the, getting the cheaper option when it came to my style, because I thought, I could look good without it but it's like I feel good buying things that like I actually like it's almost like I settled for like c plus b minus on how much I liked something because it was cheap and now I'm like how about I let myself buy the thing that I want some of it doesn't have to cost at a certain price point but now I feel like I know how to give myself the permission um to say that I like that I deserve it and that you know certain things are like worth, you know, investing in and that the way I feel when I wear them is is worthwhile and that I'll I'll own them for, you know, a really, really long time as opposed to seasonal fashion. I'm always going to throw everything out. Like I have pieces that I know I'll wear for for years and a much more like classic kind of um way of dressing.
0: Exactly. It's like not about settling. And then it's also knowing yeah. that it's going to serve you in the long run, like the longevity yeah. of it, which is actually you know more sustainable too. It and is. that we, we're going for the quality and for also for a context for the listeners, like I, the way I shop for my clients is very um, based on their budget, but also high low. And that's the way that I high shop low. for myself, mm-hmm. where I don't believe you have to own every designer item, but also mm-hmm. we're not, Trying to you know load up our closets completely with fast fashion, um, not only because it's bad for the environment, but it's also just mm-hmm. gonna break apart pretty quickly. I think that the way you take care of certain items is important too. Um, like I have a few Forever Twenty One pieces that have lasted me years and years, but it's because I get mm-hmm. them dry cleaned. That so intense. it it really is about kind of like thinking about the bigger picture. In terms of your closet and your standards yep. for yourself and raising them, um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. am so happy that your perspective has changed. And um, I want to also share with uh, the listeners that we did the photo shoot in. It was in February. Yeah, we started our work together um, mostly end of December. January mm-hmm. so I wanted to ask in your experience working together for your photo shoot how are you able to step into the fullest version of yourself including your culture and also would love if you could um, you know tune everybody in kind of with the intentions we set because with my clients I always love setting intentions for not just photo shoots but also your style because yeah. I think that we can just kind of look around, look around for context, because Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what we're trained to do. It's literally human instinct to compare ourselves so we can adapt and survive and tuning inwards and setting the intentions first and foremost. It's so powerful. And it just Mm -hmm. sets everything off with this potent energy that Mm -hmm. when it comes into fruition, I mean, wow. Okay. You need to check out Mariela's (laughs) photo. I was screaming when I saw this. So
1: if y'all saw like my other photos, and not that there's anything wrong with like the previous photo shoots, but I think there was such a, there was such a knowing of myself in it. And I think so. And that's honestly what, why I knew I was ready to work with you because obviously like I've known what you've done. I'm, you know, we've been working together, but I think that I did not know myself enough to, um, to even give the guidance that was probably like necessary for you to help me in the way that you did. Because I think when I look at how I even showed up in like my previous photo shoots, I think I was still a little bit more in like performative energy and in like giving myself permission. So I think a lot of me was still, um, wanting to either like, like look professional, right. But professional according to corporate standards. And so it wasn't really until, um, the end of last year where I think I fully, fully owned like my place as being like, I'm a business coach specifically for first gen and I've already been doing it, but I think giving myself a permission and like, you know um, how important my, my culture is in the work that I do and in expressing myself. So I think that like, I was able to come to you with a much more fully formed um, idea of who I already was that I was trying to express rather than I want to look a certain way. That would have been a much more performative energy. This wasn't about me trying to create a certain perception for people. This was more about like, here's who I am. Here's some of the things that I'm reclaiming. Like, so for example, reclaiming professionalism was one of my like themes where it's like the, I even had that with like a blazer and underneath I have this corset lace, like low cut top. I also set a blend of masculine feminine. So there are pieces that are masculine feminine. The, the photo shoot location was masculine feminine with like soft green lush, like, um, like colors on like the sofas, but then it was also like high ceilings, industrial brick. So it's like all of the elements I was able to come to you with like, this is who I am. And it also said, I want my culture represented. I knew that I wanted like a crown in one of my, in one of my photos. So like, You were able to take those pieces and I didn't know what that meant for my style. I just knew how to describe it. And then you were able to ask me the right questions, get frame of reference from my closet. And and then I could say like, well, I like this because of this and all of that. So I feel like you kind of know how to take what people can articulate. And then when you showed it to me in the closet, I was like, yep, I would buy almost all these things. And it's funny because like, I literally would have bought probably all of them, but then I got up to like, okay, I want to spend like, I spent like $2,000 on my clothes and it didn't even have to be that, but I was like, yo, I love all this stuff. But it's just crazy because you took a vision that I could just describe in like some frames of reference. And then when you reflected it back to me, I was like, it's like, I was using words and then you painted a painting. I love that. Oh <laughs> my God. I yeah. Love so much. Yeah. And I feel like now I'm like, oh, I like that because these things. So I feel like it helped me see it visually where it's like, I know how to shop like better for myself and um, know how to put things together in a way that looks effortless and still comfortable. Like I still, it's like a very, I'm a, you know, I'm an active mom. Like I'm running around after a five-year-old, but I still feel like I feel so good when I drop my kid off at school. More than one mom has told me you're the best dressed mom. (gasps) Really? Yeah. And then they're oh just like, God. oh my God, you look so good. They're like, you just like, you always look so put together. I never got those comments before. Like, and I said, I wanted to be that mom that was just like, oh, cause it's literally like eight thirty in the morning. So for me, and I haven't, t- I haven't put makeup on, but I look put together. And I was just like, wow, it doesn't need to take a lot of time. I could literally stroll out of my house. and still haven't done makeup, but I have like earrings and like the top and like the coat that I'm wearing and I all this stuff and I'm just like damn that's exactly what I wanted I just wanted to look put together and I feel good like I feel really good I feel even better showing up to coaching calls and everything so it's just been like it's just really changed the way that I see myself and I feel so much more empowered um to like really just like be seen honestly that's what it is I feel more Mm -hmm. comfortable being seen because I'm like yep and I look good
0: (laughs) Oh my God, I am beaming. I am beaming. I did not know that about, you know, the moms like telling you, because I remember that was something you mentioned. So I did, yeah. it was literally manifested. Yeah. She, she did it. She, she yeah. dressed to manifest everybody. She did. Yeah. It.
1: <laughs> that's it what, really we,
0: what we do here. <laughs> uh, I yeah. love that so much. And it makes me, cause that really is at the heart of my mission. I really love just holding space for people and reflecting back what makes them special. It is my absolute yeah. favorite thing in the world. And I love doing it in a way that's creative um, with things that I'm passionate about, including style. So it's just like yeah. to be holding a mirror up to you. And also I just love that the painting. Oh and yeah. For you to see it
1: and to go, yes. wow, that
0: was just all inside like, me all. Exactly already. what I
1: was feeling. I wasn't even, I couldn't even envision it visually. I could tell you different things that I liked, but the way that it was put together, I was like, this is me like this actually looks like me and I can't wait. And the thing is every piece in my wardrobe bar a couple of things, but it, de- it kind of depends on the occasion. I could actually wear all of them all the time. Yeah. So it never felt like anything was super extreme. Like I'd say the only thing would be like, maybe some of the dresses where I'm like, oh, okay, like would I wear this dress, dropping off my kid, probably no, but I've worn it to dinner. Like the, the crown. Reformation dress. Yeah. So it's like, I wouldn't wear the crown, but like I wore I mean, the reformation dress at my birthday and it's like, I wear it and I get yeah. compliments on it all the time. And I'm like, you know, I like getting compliments and I don't dress for the compliments, but I will accept them proudly. And I, yes, think that's, I that's just another element of it. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with like liking to be complimented on how you look. And I think it just it definitely has made me feel like, I don't know, like I deserve to be seen. And and just it when I look at my own reflection, like it, it definitely shifts something in me. Um, when I feel like I look put together and I look good because I'm able to, it's more easy for me to believe like I am a. I'm a great coach. Like it has actually nothing to do with my coaching abilities, but it's like, I look like a professional when I sit down in front of my clients um, and that they're getting what they paid for because I'm also like looking the part. And so I feel like I'm able to just show up differently. And I don't know that, I think I knew that in my head, but I think when you look good and you, you're you comfortable with how you dress, that it really does affect like your confidence. Um, it does. So it really has been like, It really has been like such a rebirth, I think, like for this year where I felt like I finally allowed myself to like invest in like working with you and being able to be like my photos look like nobody else's. Like, I think that's another thing too, because it was purely my vision and you helped me like put it together. When I look at my photos, nobody could have these photos. Nobody could have this look like it's so me that it was created with, without looking at anybody else's brand. Like it's so me. And I love that. <laughs> that is it,
0: exactly it's supposed to be a reflection of exactly who you are because I I love how you were saying that you felt put together to at drop off when you were dropping off uh, pie at mm-hmm. school. Cause it's like earlier um I noticed a recurring pattern where you're saying like your mom and just like the c- culturally at, at large, I feel like it's an overlap, but it's yeah. like this concern of perception of. Other people looking as are we put together? Are we put together? But it's like mm-hmm. redefining that and being, are, am I not only put together, but am I 100% myself?
1: Yeah. And I also wanted to like, I even wanted to take a step further and be like, I want to be like the hot mom at like school drop-off. Like, is that you not are. anything wrong with that? Right. There's and it's like wrong with that. It's amazing. Know? And that's, that's almost like against my culture in the sense of like, I'm older, like I'm, I'm 41. And I, I feel like I dress in a way where I'm just like, I'm hot still (laughs) like, and I'm a mom. So I have like, it's in a way it's like, because I'm a mom or because of my age, I could society or my culture could tell me like, you're not supposed to be like thinking about being attractive. You know what I mean? But I'm like, f that, like I am, and I want to be seen, even if like, nobody saw me, I look fine in my house and that's okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It really is like the look good to feel good. Yeah. Um, I, I taking it a step further. It's it's like, I saw this quote and I'm trying to remember what quote or who said this quote, if somebody finds it, DM me, let me know. But it's about um, how every outfit is almost like casting a spell
1: where, and I love that because
0: it really is like, it's not about, you know, these inanimate objects holding, you know, all of your magic. It's really about them being totems to you yeah. projecting it and amplifying your essence out into the world. So when you put it all together, like we were saying, calling back to the beginning, we were talking about putting together the ingredients of who you are. Yep. You get this really gorgeous like, expression with physical items. And it's like mm. you look in the mirror and it's not that the clothes did anything to change who you are on the inside. It just provides you like this physical evidence that you are already everything you want to be and
1: more. Yeah, I really love that The it casts its spell, but then you see it's almost like seeing myself reflected back rather than like, because it never felt like I was turning into a different person. It just kind of felt like I looked the way that I see myself Mm -hmm. or I looked the way that I feel. And that I think was really important. And I think that that's, I mean, that's a unique thing about how you style people because you're not going in with like fixing them. You're going in with like, how can you express yourself and how can you see yourself the way that like feels authentic to you? And I think that that's, that's important when we come from backgrounds where we were told we need to like fix ourselves or be different.
0: Yes, but to stand with our individual power, but Also, what I find interesting is like we can stand in our individual power, but represent the collective in a really powerful way while still being true to ourselves on an individualistic level. So I'm curious, um, how is it like embodying that? That's pretty much like my last question around the photo shoot Um, Mm -hmm. is just like including your culture I know that I we both know this but just um to share with everybody else how we really brought your culture into this for the style and the whole branding
1: yeah so I really um I think with the cultural elements for me um number one it was like the colors of my culture it's interesting because like I hadn't I mean I see it's like the colors of Mexico in a way so I think the colors that I naturally was drawn to were these like um browns um deep kind of golds, mustards um and deep deep emerald green so I think that was some of it which is also very anti-professional when you think of like often like the colors that are represented in like these softer or either neutral or pastel pink so it was like my own version of these rich colors but separately I knew that I wanted to like look like an Aztec queen in one of them like I said I come from Mexico like the indigenous um you know, indigenous from like where my family is from is Aztec. And I know I have indigenous blood because I look like it and my grandmother like looks like it. And so like, we know that we all have like Spanish and, you know, indigenous blood. And so I was like, I want to look like an Aztec queen. And so the only photo or like specific thing that I actually knew that I wanted was a crown. And I wanted the halo crown. I didn't know what it was called. but When I told you, you said, oh, halo crown. And I said, I wanted it to be really big, like not a small one. I want it to be really big. And I wanted an outfit that like looks almost like modern day, like Aztec queen. And so we, you found me this like mustard reformation dress that like wraps my body really well. I was able to be sexy and feel confident, you know, even with parts of my body that I have um, insecurities about, like, you know, like my waist and things like that. Um, And I just felt like that was the one that I knew I could see in my head. And when I saw the pictures, like I still intentionally haven't shared those pictures because they're so profound that I'm like, I haven't even put them in stories or anything. Cause I was like, I just want to like, bam, like put them Then when I do share them. But when I looked at it, I was like, this is exactly what I was envisioning. Like I wanted to see myself as like a goddess, as a queen, as like someone in her power and taking up space. Um, And so that's exactly what it was. When I look at those pictures, it almost like it's like an out-of-body experience, um, like seeing myself represented in that way.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, they are gorgeous, like stunning. You look so stunning, literally a goddess. So I, I can't wait to see those pictures um, shared. I have seen the whole. I've had the honor of seeing the whole photo gallery. Um, yeah. When um, the photographer gave those to Mariela, so I
1: was oh ooing and
0: awing and you know, hyping her up in the silence of my home office.
1: Um, (laughs) Your reactions, your live reactions were the best. You literally boxered me while you were going through my photos and your reactions were like the best ever. Oh
0: my gosh. They were a hundred percent raw reactions.
1: (gasps) like the gasps you're like oh my god Mariella, oh my god and I was like this is this is another thing Ariel like you genuinely like care so much like it's like those reactions like you really really do and it shows them like everything and it's like nobody was as excited for those photos as you
0: (laughs) oh my goodness it's true though I I really Whenever I see the photos at the I mean throughout the process, I'm always cheering on my clients, but when I see the photos, it's just like bam, there yes. you are. There you are. And <laughs> all of your wholeness and all of the just nuanced, beautiful ways that like you yeah. radiate out into the world. It's just, oh my gosh. So you need to go see these photos. They are at Mariella's <laughs> Instagram page, at Mariella la Mora go look at it because it was it's just so profound even to see um you know a woman of color leader leading other women of color including myself Mm -hmm. um in such a bold way that connects so deeply with her culture so it it's so so many levels just so magical um so yeah I think that's it for my questions oh wait no I did yeah. have one last question. Mm-hmm. Um, what beliefs about your style do you feel have now been rewritten and reclaimed now that we've kind of walked mm-hmm. the listeners through the process?
1: That's a really good question. I love that you asked me a belief question I feel like that's a that's a coaching question that I asked <laughs> at the end like what beliefs are we gonna be carrying into the new week or what Ooh. beliefs are easier for you to embody now? Yeah <laughs> I think number one I deserve to be seen. Um, number two is my identity is a part of me and deserves to be celebrated. I think another is like, my sexuality is for me, not for anybody else. And um, I deserve to invest in myself. <laughs> I love to invest in myself <laughs> with style in my style. I love investing in my style. I think that's another one. So yeah, that's, that's
0: it. Those are so profound. And oh my gosh, I'm really happy that it just had a lot of energetic shifts behind something as, um, you know, external facing as a photo shoot that there could be so many internal shifts involved. That is um, a huge part of my process is like, I really want it to be an embodied experience for my yeah. clients. And I just think that your experience, uh, really beautifully captured that. So thank you for yeah. sharing and for yeah, being thank here, thank you,
1: Ariel, for just being you and, you know, for being my guide, like through this process, you know, and helping me see myself, um, the way that I have kind of seen myself inside, but now I look more the way that I feel.
0: And it was a full circle moment because Mm -hmm. I think that in so many ways, Mariela has helped me see myself in our work with her coaching me these past two years. So it was like, again, like a beyond an honor and just something that I, I feel like was such a big milestone Um, in my experience too, as a stylist, I was like, wow, I am serving um, you know, a leader who has poured into me, pouring back into you and being able to know that like wow this person who has seen me literally at my rawest most <laughs> human and like the deepest deepest darkest parts in my brain like oh, yeah. still would love to work with me and mm-hmm. still like really sees um you know the transformation that can yeah. take place so it was just so wonderful on so many levels for I think both yeah. of us
1: Yes, for sure. And wanting to work with you because of those things that are raw and real, you know? And I think that's that's a belief for all of us to take away that the people that we work with want to work with us because of who we are and our humanity, not despite it. So, yes. Yeah. So, yes. so on that <laughs> note,
0: I am going to um, direct the listeners to your Instagram. So at Mariela Della Mora uh, to reach her. Are there any other um, ways that they can reach you or any other... Um, specific services or programs that you'd like to promote because you do not want to miss out on the (laughs) magic that is this woman. So if you're looking for a coach, especially as a woman of color, as her client of, you know, going on, I think two years now. Mm -hmm. um, Yes, I cannot recommend her enough.
1: I appreciate you. No, definitely. I say Instagram is the best place to to find me. I'm on LinkedIn as well. It's just a very different kind of uh, facing more like leadership coaching there. But on Instagram, you get a lot more of me and of my life, and of my beliefs, and of my story. So definitely find me on Instagram. Um, yeah, and offers. I'm still only offering um, one-on-one private coaching, at least until the fall, when I will be opening up a mastermind. But until then, I am happily <laughs> just working with all of my one-on-one clients who are all incredible, um, including you. And just very, very, very grateful. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much Thank for you. being my first podcast guest and for being here. Oh my gosh. I- Loved this. This was so juicy. I really oh my hope gosh,
1: that yes. So many sound bites.
0: So <laughs> many sound bites. So
1: thank you, Ariel. Oh my god. Yeah, I cannot wait. Seriously, you got all of the stories out of me.
0: <laughs> I hope that you all absolutely loved this episode. Leave us a message if there is anything that really resonated with you. You can DM me at ariel.britney. And if you'd like me to, you know, walk you through the same process have a photo shoot that really captures your magic in an embodied way that honors every facet of who you are then I am your girl and I'll catch you next week if you need guidance with your personal style I'd love to help you with my one-on-one personal styling and confidence coaching services whether it's for an event your everyday style or a brand photo shoot we get you ready to embody your next level of growth with true to you outfits you absolutely love check out my website at www.arielbrittany.com and follow me on Instagram at ariel.brittany. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week. (laughs) Dress to Manifest with Ariel Brittany is a production by Yali Christina Podcast Services.